Do you like the show and you want to help support us? Do you want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Well, of course you do. Then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro and become a Patreon supporter of this very show. Still, Halloween Horror Month here at the Nerd Cave Retro Show, and my name is Jason Spooktacular Robbins. I am Derek Not-So-Scary Diamond. <laughs> so, uh, we have to start off the show by talking about the, uh, the 800-pound Star Wars Bantha in the room. <laughs> nice. <sighs> the trailer so, last I actually... I actually have a um, an interesting side story to that before we actually get to the thoughts on the trailer. So the Star Wars trailer premiered last night during Monday Night Football. Now, the caveat to that was that tickets were going to go on sale right after the trailer aired. It was going to air during halftime. So I had to work a high school football game last night. And the interesting thing about, interesting thing about that is that the game was on a Monday because we had a tropical storm here on Friday that caused a lot of games to be moved to Saturday. Some people play their games on Thursday. Anyway, the game that I worked was on Monday. So I'm checking my phone to see like how far you know it is into the game on ESPN. It gets to halftime of the high school game I'm working. So I check and there's about four to five minutes left in the first half of the Jets-Patriots game. And just off chance, I decide, let me look at AMC to see if they might have released the tickets early. And sure enough, they did. Wow. So I'm like, oh, sweet. I can go ahead and get my tickets now that, you know, I won't have to be distracted by it. So I open up the six o'clock showing because we have an IMAX theater here. And I find a set of four seats, click on them, not available. So I'm like, all right, so I see another set of four seats, so I click on those. Not available. (laughs) Then I look at the third row of the entire theater. I don't know if you've ever sat in one of the first three rows during an IMAX movie, but it is not fun. Awful. (laughs) So I do the same thing. Not available. The entire 6 o'clock showing was already sold out. Damn. I was not too pleased, if you can imagine, because here you are, you're advertising that, hey, the tickets will be available after the trailer airs on TV. So they got a little antsy, and they released the tickets early. Now, I did get a showing for that night, but it's not the like the very first one. Yeah. I'm going to keep checking every now and then to see if somebody, if somebody might refund their tickets or whatever. But... Worst case scenario, I mean, I'm going to be seeing it opening night. It's just going to be at like 10 o'clock at night. Yeah, same here. I got a showing for the 7 o'clock showing on day one. So Yeah, mine's at, I think, 945. So you'll be, 
you'll be just getting out of the theater, I think, as I'm getting in. And I'll text you everything that happens before you go in, so. <laughs> uh, please don't. <laughs> no lie, I think if that were to happen, I would be waiting outside your apartment when you got back. I'll make up some fake spoilers to, uh, to send. Oh, you. no, I've I've got this whole plan because... I took my parents to go see The Force Awakens when it came out, and this was like three days after it premiered. Mm. We're waiting outside the theater, and some jackass drives mm. by in his truck and yells, Han Solo dies to everyone. <laughs> so I've decided what I'm going to do is when 6 o'clock hits, I'm, I'm not going to look at my phone. Yeah. And when I go in the theater, I'm going to be wearing my AirPods with music playing. I know that might sound a bit extreme, but yeah, I'm just when you've go, been a victim of it, uh, yeah. you can't take any chances. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be like you. I'm gonna go on a full media blackout, pretty much for that entire day, probably. Yeah, because somebody's gonna release something. Yeah, it, it always happens. But anyway, I'll quit complaining. Let's talk <laughs> about the trailer. So um, I got to I, last night. I was doing a comedy show in Mobile. Um, when the trailer was released, so I got to see it on the TV, but it was I didn't get to see it with sound because it was a kind of a bar slash restaurant, and uh, they didn't have the sound of the TVs on. It just had subtitles, so I got to watch it with subtitles, but I didn't get to hear it until this morning because you had texted me this morning and asked me if I'd seen the trailer. I said yes, but I haven't seen it with sound. So as soon as I saw it with sound, I sent you a text message, and I was like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> that music i got to have that music oh the so they did a revised version of the star wars theme mm -hmm. no lie the first time i heard it it gave me goosebumps oh, always. it was that good i will give them this i'm say hi to randy bailey who just joined us in the chat room hi randy yeah shout out to randy bailey he says he loves the game that i'm going to be reviewing so awesome excited for that um, so similar to you, like I watched, I watched the trailer on my phone, but I couldn't really see or hear it very well. Like I had my AirPods in, but with the noise going on at the stadium, I couldn't really hear it that well. Yeah. So I said, I'll just watch it when I get home. And I watched it five times. <laughs> yeah, I've watched it. Back to back to back. Um, so let's kind of break down the trailer. I mean, we're not going to do a whole show. We're just going to talk about it for a few minutes, but kind of what was some of your moments from the trailer that got you excited? Well, I think the, the biggest one is obviously the tease of Palpatine. Mm -hmm. You don't actually see him, but you hear his laugh and you see like an over the shoulder shot of him looking down at Ray and it's the same, you know, hood and cloak that he's been wearing. You see the throne as well. From yeah, you Death see the Star throne. Too. My favorite shot of the whole thing was Ray and Kylo Ren in the Emperor's old throne room yeah. from the Death Star. Like that was just oh, it gave me chills. My favorite shot of the entire thing is you see the the um, Millennium Falcon in front of like a fleet of I guess yeah. rebel ships, and you see the ghost behind the Millennium Falcon. And uh, I was trying to look through all the different ships and see if there were any other Easter eggs in there. Um, so if you've ever seen the uh, Rebels, the TV show, uh, the Ghost is the name of their ship, and it's literally right behind the Millennium Falcon. So it's like, ooh, that's some good fan is. service. Yeah. So, um, 
And another, I'm worried that 3PO is going to get a mind wipe. That would suck. I think that's what's going to happen. Well, Randy Bailey says in the chat, I got choked up at the C3O, as the C3PO part, I can't talk tonight, where he said, friends, damn yeah. you shiny bastard. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I read some um, kind of a possible spoiler. I, I don't, something had to do with uh, 3PO sacrifices himself. That's why we see him with red eyes in the original trailer, because they do a mind wipe on him so that he can do something with a... a uh, I think they find a part of a Sith droid or something like that that he plugs himself into and and uh, to get some information. And I don't know, I think it does a memory wipe, a complete memory wipe on C-3PO. Not again. Yeah. <laughs> at, least, at least for him. I, I didn't even think about that. That could definitely be a possibility. Because I've the seen the, universe. the picture they, of him with red eyes. Couldn't, I mean, they had, don't they have, you know, thumb drives? They could, like, download th 3PO's, like, conscience into a thumb drive to save it and then put it back in later. You know, I don't know. I'm just thinking outside the box here. I mean, they live in a, a world of lightsabers. So. <laughs> but it's also, to quote the beginning of every film a long time ago, yeah. So maybe they haven't been invented yet. Maybe. They're still using 8-inch uh, floppies. Yeah. <laughs> that would actually be really funny. You saw that news um, article today, didn't you, where the government just upgraded from 8-inch floppy disks that our nuclear arsenal was t uh, attached to? Oh, my God. Yeah. We were still That's using 8-inch floppy drives for our nuclear uh, <laughs> launch codes. That's awesome. <laughs> that's that's a whole separate topic. Yeah, I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, but all in all, I I really really enjoyed the trailer, and I'm happy that they didn't really give too much away. I figured they might reveal Palpatine or reveal you know something at the very end because yeah. I remember one of the trailers for Force Awakens that ended with the shot of Han and Chewie, and Billy, and D's that made back, everybody baby. freak out. Yeah, I think they're gonna have some Force Ghost stuff going on too. Well, I think that last shot of Ray, you could see her start to smile right before it cuts the logo. I could yeah. see that being not just Luke, but maybe some Force ghosts from the previous films. How awesome would a Ewan McGregor Obi-Wan Force ghost be? Oh, no. How many hours do we have left now? How many days, hours, minutes? Seconds. Too long. <laughs> just under two months. What body part would you cut off right now? If you if you could watch <laughs> the uh, Rise of Skywalker, but you have to sacrifice a body part. Well, I mean, if it's my choice, um, I'll say my left pinky toe. Yeah, I'll, I would give him my left kidney because that's my bad one. Because I could get oh, that's to watch a, that's Star a good Wars one. and never have to have uh, um, kidney stones again. So it's a win-win for me. Yeah. You hear that, Disney? I'll give you a kidney if you let me watch it right now. <laughs> uh, it's going to be a long two months, and I think especially the last week or two before the movie comes out when they really amp up the TV advertisement. Oh, yeah. Even Randy says I remember you the would think R2 would have a backup copy of C-3PO. Really? He's the only one who remembers everything <laughs> from episode one all the way to now. For real. Oh, so 
I mentioned this before we started recording, but my theory on how Palpatine comes back to life, I think it involves Ray and Kylo in some way. I don't know exactly what, but he even mentions in the trailer that your coming together will be your undoing. And they haven't explained quite yet the the link between Rey and Kylo that they got in The Last Jedi. So I could see them being crucial to like Palpatine fully coming back to life, like with you know, full power. Yeah. Because I could see him either being in a very weakened state, maybe or not being alive when the movie starts. Maybe Kylo goes to the light, and because he goes to the light, there's no more dark side users. So the dark side brings back Palpatine to balance things out. I don't know. It's Could be. A little bit out there, but you never know. I think those two, though, are, are somehow crucial to Palpatine. Like, he needs them for something. Yeah. I don't know what yet, but I think it has a lot to do with that. Well, we'll find out in two months. <laughs> I, know, I, I cannot months. wait. I better not die before then. If I die, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that would suck. Yeah. Hmm. But uh, like I said, we've got just under two months because we're recording this on the 22nd and it comes out technically on the 19th mm -hmm. that night. So we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. A little less than two months from now. Yeah. All right. Well, then we'll um... have to do, we'll have to do a full, um, cause I, I know for, for those who also listen to my podcast, we did a, a Marvel Cinematic Universe like retrospective with us two plus Steve Wise and Wally Phelps, and then we came back and did a review for Endgame. I'd like to do something similar to that, where maybe the week before we release like a retrospective on Star Wars just in general. Yeah. And then once we all see Rise of Skywalker, we come back and do like a full-on dissection of it. You know where we think the franchise will go from there. I'm down for that. I could talk about Star Wars all night. Oh, same. Like, this could be a full Star Wars episode of the podcast, but we do have some other things to talk about, yes, too. Yes, we do. So let's go ahead and move into the news, shall we? I saw this thing pop up on Twitter and Facebook a few days ago. It looks pretty cool. This is on uh, NintendoLife.com. Who needs a Game Boy Classic Edition when you've got the Analog Pocket? Hardware specialist Analog is famous for its reference quality clones of retro systems and has already made a name for itself with products like the Super NT and Mega SG, both of which harness FPGA technology to replicate the performance of classic systems on a hardware level. The company has revealed its next project, and it's even more ambitious in scope. The Analog Pocket is, as the name suggests, a portable FPGA-based system which is compatible with, it, with the entire Game Boy library, uh, over 2,700 Game Boy, Game Boy Color, and Game Boy Advance titles, boasting a pin-sharp 3.5-inch, 1,600-by-1440-pixel LTPS LCD display, which uh, Analog is calling the most advanced scene on any gaming system. The Analog Pocket will make those vintage games look incredible. It also comes with, with its own built-in sequencer and synthesizer called NanoLoop, and includes a second FPGA chip, which is aimed at developers who want to port their own cores to the system. Um, and so I was reading up a little bit about that um, FPGA system. Is 
it's sort of you can use the original cartridges with it and what it does is basically sort of just kind of down i guess it i don't really understand it but it it, it basically emulates the game from the rom itself on the cartridge so it's sort of like a little um kind of a rom downloader almost i guess it's kind of how they get around um <clears throat> you know copyright issues with the with like nintendo and stuff like that so it's that's really brilliant just an emulator like an emulation machine yeah so i have a good opinion and a bad opinion mm-hmm. about this the good opinion is i think this is awesome it looks great there's a screen cap on here of tetris being played and it's basically like in full color yeah and it looks awesome the bad side of this, and it's in the very last sentence of this whole article. The analog pocket launches in 2020 and will cost $199. The pricing for the dock and cartridge adapters is yet to be revealed. That's a lot. So it ain't cheap. No. If this thing were 100 sign me up yeah. in a heartbeat. But like, I thing. would love this. But You'll be able to play not only... I think you're going to be able to play other uh, systems with it too. I, if I'm not mis- if I if I'm okay, let's see, hold on. Um, using special adapters, you'll also be able to play Atari Lynx, Sega Game Gear, and SNK Neo Geo Pocket Color titles on the machine. So it's sort of like having a, um, a Retron, like a little tiny Retron in your pocket. Yeah. I think if you still have a collection of your handheld games, it would definitely be worth it. Yeah. But someone like me who didn't save all their Game Boy games or Game Gear, I'd essentially have to rebuy all these games in order to get, you know, the full experience. Plus, I'm already paying 200 bucks Mm. for the analog pocket. Now, I'm not knocking it. I think it's great. I think if you're looks really fantastic. if you're really into collecting Game Boy stuff, this is a must have, honestly. Yeah, I would agree with that. But I it looks but I, it looks really cool though. To be perfectly honest, I mean, I would love to have one, but uh, you know, you can go get uh, a Super Game Boy if you have a Super Nintendo, go get a Super Super Game Boy and still, you know, play your Game Boy games in color on your TV. So, I mean, this thing costs all uh, Almost pretty much as much as a um, isn't this the same price as a Switch Lite? I think so. One ninety nine, I think, and um, same price as that. Like I said, unless you're pretty much a hardcore Game Boy collector, I don't really know who this is for. Well, and and I missed this point too. A special dock will also be available, which allows you to output your games to a TV and charge the console in the process. You'll also be able to use Bluetooth or wired controllers for input. That's that's interesting. I mean, it's got a lot of perks to it. I don't know. We'll see when it comes out. If um, maybe if the price drops, or you know, we'll see what happens with it. Yeah, like I said, if this were a hundred, I would get it in a heartbeat. Yeah, I think the one ninety nine, even at one one fifty, is pushing it. But at the two hundred dollar price point, that's a little high. Yeah. Our next story also comes to us from NintendoLife.com. Castlevania's harder arcade version is now available on Nintendo Switch. Hamster has revealed that the next arcade archives released to launch on Switch is none other than Versus Castlevania, 
you'll be able to get your hands on it starting on October 17th, which was five days ago. The game was originally released as an arcade title back in 1986 and is very similar to the NES game, which launched the year after. Retro Gamer notes that the most dif notable difference between the two is its difficulty. This versus variant is considerably harder with some enemies dealing double the damage they do on Nintendo's platform. Although other differences can also be found in areas such as the game's color palette. So, I know you're a big Castlevania fan. I don't need Is this something you'll harder. play? I, I, honestly, no. I mean, I just put this in here because it's a Castlevania story, but at the same time, after I, I read the article, I was like, I don't need it to be harder than it already is. Castlevania yeah, it's already, already hard. a brutally hard game. Like, why would I need it to be any harder? Like, who is this for? Uh, people with issues. <laughs> like speedrunners who are trying, I don't know. Yeah, speedrunners that are looking for a new challenge. Yeah. That and I think just like really diehard Castlevania fans who have to have every single game in their collection. Yeah, and I, you know, I'm a ca diehard Castlevania fan, but I don't need everything. And like, I, honestly, I don't, like looking at the screenshots, I don't see much of a difference between this and the, the NES version. No. I mean, it's very slight differences. And it says here that if you are interested in getting it, it's at the usual arcade archives pricing of seven ninety nine. That's not bad. Which is just, no, it's not a bad price, but it's not one that I'm going to pick up. Yeah, I, I think it's cool that they're releasing it just for the the ones who, like I said, like to have every game in their collection when it comes to a certain franchise. Yeah, but I I won't be getting it. I mean, I would recommend the Castlevania collection over this. I mean, for 20 yes. bucks, you get like a ton of Castlevania games, including the original NES Castlevania, which is plenty hard enough, trust me. Yeah. Um, this is from SuperheroHype.com, a game that I reviewed not too long ago, and uh, a company we've been talking about a lot lately. Limited mm -hmm. Run announces the release date for Star Wars Racer games. Um, earlier this year, Limited Run Games partnered up with Lucasfilm to re-release several classic Star Wars games. So far, the successful run has included several NES, SNES, and Nintendo 64 releases. But now, the company is literally shifting in high gear with two Star Wars racing titles that go on sale later this week. Uh, they announced the latest titles on Twitter. The first is Star Wars Episode One Racer for Nintendo 64. Uh, the new version has a special blue cartridge design. Gamers can buy it starting October 18th. Um, Unfortunately, it's only available in limited numbers. Uh, let's see. Um, I was trying to look for a price, but they don't have it on here. Um, they're also re-releasing Star Wars Racer Revenge, which arrived on the PlayStation 2 in 2002. game received a digital release on the PlayStation 4 in 2016. However, this marks the first time it will get a physical release for PS4 consoles. It, was all, it will also be re released on that Friday. Um, so, But there's no... There's no price for it or anything. I imagine it's probably at least 70, 80 bucks, probably. Let's see. Uh, standard version of Star Wars Racer Revenge is priced at $29.99, while Episode One Racer's Classic Edition costs $44.99. Oh, that's not bad at all. Let's oh, see the collect the packaging. Did you see this? I didn't even see this. Yeah, it's packaged like the classic uh, Star Wars action figures. Mm hmm. From back in the day, which is awesome. Like I, I had so many of those. That is awesome. Yeah, the art's amazing. Of course, diehard Star Wars fans will most likely pursue the collector's editions for each title. 
The premium edition for Episode 1 Racer costs $89.99 and comes with a collectible pen and coin, Ooh. a full-color manual, and a special edition box. Oh, I didn't even see this update. Yeah, wow. That's it's not a bad price for this. I mean, just for that packaging alone, I would have this. Yeah, it looks so cool. It's so awesome. And then Racer's Revenge Premium Edition retails for $74.99. Yeah, I have Racer's Revenge on the PS4. Comes packaged in a specially designed box featuring a pod racing vehicle on the front, embossed in yellow and gray. It also includes a collectible steelbook case and a limited edition poster. All right, I got to get off this page before I buy the <laughs> Racer because I'm just staring at it hardcore. And one day I'm gonna pull the pl- uh, pull the trigger on one of those um, one of those releases. I know limited runs kind of killing it lately with all the. No, they really are doing the, the thing is they're not putting out many of each one because you know it's it's a niche market, but um, you know like but the stuff that they're making is just top notch, man. Well, they're living up to their name, limited run. Yeah. And our last story, as crazy as I feel like it was forever ago, this was announced. I know. <laughs> this comes to us from hotnewwhiphop.com. I almost couldn't say that, but I made it through. Uh, new images of redesigned Sonic the Hedgehog emerges. Um, we all remember what went down when the first trailer for Sonic the Hedgehog's live-action movie was unveiled by Paramount Pictures. Mostly everyone was left wondering what the actual F when they got a first look at what their beloved blue speedster looked like. I remember I ripped that to shreds on this show. After much backlash, controversy, and roast, the producers and directors behind the film have chosen to ditch its initial release date in order to rework the titular character's overall look. Uh, As such, Jeff Howler, the movie's director, has spoken out to the hate by announcing the Hedgehog's appearance will be completely redesigned and the movie was pushed to 2020. And now photos of the new Sonic have leaked and the changes are significant, to say the least. So basically these two photos that look like, you know, someone took a picture of a computer screen and posted them on Twitter. Because you can even see the mouse cursor between Sonic's ears on one of them, which is pretty funny. I see that. I will say this. The redesign is a lot better. Yeah, it is. As in 100% better. He looks very accurate to how he looks you know, in the games. Yeah. It's just his, you know, his quills look realistic, which I figured they would do for a, a live action or even a CG movie anyway. You can't expect that he's going to look exactly the same as he does in the games. Yeah. But uh, he just, he just looks so much better. <laughs> yeah. Even if he's going to be surrounded by actual human beings, he still looks a lot better. Yeah. It does make me wonder if any of the other, like, quote-unquote Sonic characters are going to appear. Like Tails, Knuckles, any of the other like anthropomorphic animal characters. I assume they will, they'll at least make a cameo, but I yeah. could see it being fairly Sonic-heavy. Well, I have a feeling that the, uh, the Dr. Robotnik, uh, Jim Carrey character is going to probably create like Knuckles and Tails maybe in a lab or something. That would be actually a, an interesting twist. I do think that at some point they are going to go to Sonic's planet mm-hmm. because in the very last shot of the trailer, you see Jim Carrey has the traditional Robotnik look. He has bald head, huge yeah. mustache, but you can see giant mushrooms in the background and the sky looks kind of like a pinkish type color. So I, I was thinking, I bet that he follows Sonic back to his world 
and the process changes his look. That's a that's probably pretty accurate. <laughs> now, as much as I will praise them for the redesign, I still don't have faith that it's going to be a good movie. Eh, maybe it'll just be good popcorn fun. That's all I'm asking for. I'm I, not, you know, I'm not looking for, you know, a cinematic masterpiece like the Joker. I just want a good fun popcorn Sonic movie. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm like maybe I have just too high of expectations for this thing. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm definitely going to go see it. Like yeah. I'm not going to come on the show or even go on Facebook and say, "Oh, I'll never see this movie." I'm going to yeah. go see it when it comes out in the theater because I'm a fan. Yeah. And I am very curious about it and I want it to be good. I want it to be a fun movie. I really don't think it's going to be Super Mario Brothers level bad, but it's got to be better than that. <laughs> that's that's all you can hope for. <laughs> yeah. If it is that bad, then we have to do a commentary for it. And I will get completely plastered beforehand. Yeah. And I don't care what anybody says. I thought Pixels was a good movie. So at least if it's as good as, good as Pixels for me, I'll be happy. I actually haven't seen Pixels. You never saw that? I actually thought it was pretty good. But, you know, I'm, I'm crazy. It looked like a fun movie. I like stuff that nobody else likes anyway. So uh, we're going to have a... Well, I remember... Critics ripped it apart, but it's not really a movie that critics are going to like. Yeah. I mean, it's like we got, you know, our Halloween episodes coming up, and I have a, a sneaking suspicion that uh, me and Joey Image are going to go head-to-head on whether or not Halloween 3 is a good movie. Does that mean I have to be the tiebreaker? Yep. Cool. <laughs> I'll, uh, to, to use a wrestling term, I'll play referee. Awesome. Don't tell <laughs> me anything until we get to the show. So I don't want to know how you feel about it. I don't want to talk about no. it until the show. No, I'm not going to say a single word about it. Awesome. Let's go ahead and move into this month in video game history. On October uh, 1983, Casio launches the Casio PV-1000 in Japan. It does not remain on the market for long. Let's see what this bad boy looks like. Oh, boy. Ooh, that is 80s as hell. You know, looking at the title of the console, it made me think of the name of a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> yeah. And it was only 13 games were released for it. Yikes. Super Cobra. That sounds cool. Well, it had Dig Dug. Yeah, Dig Dug. Um, Space Panic. Ooh, Naughty Boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. <laughs> I thought that said Pikachu UFO, but it's a Pachinko UFO. That's a little bit before Pikachu's time. Yeah. Like, so uh, if you're, if you don't get enough of Naughty Boy, you have the Dirty Chameleon. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> are these porn names or are they game names? <laughs> well, b- before this gets into a really bad place, <laughs> in October of 1984, Nyan Falcom releases action role-playing game Dragon Slayer. I remember the movie. I don't remember the game. I wonder if you slay dragons. I'm sure you do. The poster looks really cool. That does look cool. That was like some, like an 80s heavy metal album cover. Yeah, I was thinking that or like a comic book cover, like or like the cover of Heavy Metal Magazine. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. That's cool. 
I actually really like that cover. I want to make a band call it Dragon Slayer and use that as the album cover. They could be the um, the lead-in band to Falls from Grace. Yeah. <laughs> or uh, Dragon Force. We can go on tour with Dragon Force. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Uh, October 6th of 1990, Sega's Game Gear Color handheld is released in Japan. It is launched in North America in 91 and Europe and Australia in 92. It's crazy how everything was like years apart back then. Yeah, it was the same way with just games in general, because I remember games would come out in Japan first, mm-hmm. then a couple of months later they'd come out in the in the States, and then like two years later Europe would get them. I always felt bad for Europe. Oh, the Game Gear the, was discontinued in 97. I thought it went longer than that. Yeah, I did too. Now, I like the Game Gear, but as I've mentioned several times, just the the short battery life was so bad. I can remember having it, you know, at my grandparents' uh, lake house in Tallahassee, and I would have to lay on the floor with the Game Gear plugged into the wall so I could actually play it because the batteries would last like 15 minutes. Oh, that sucks. Oh, yeah, it was this awful. Little peripheral for it. If you scroll down, I see the TV tuner plug in. Oh, look at that thing. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Not only can you play your games, but you can get uh, network television. Ooh, it had a display resolution of 160 by 144 pixels, baby. Heck yeah. You know, if we really wanted to dive into the retro aspect of the show, we should decrease the audio quality. Yeah. <laughs> and just make it really bad. Like you've been listening to it like on like an 80s TV. No, we should just uh, stop the uh, podcast online and you have to get it through us on on um, on video on no on uh, audio cassette. You have to mail order it from <laughs> us by check and you get it in six to eight weeks. Oh, <laughs> uh, we can make like a really cheesy infomercial for it, too. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Only 1995. Oh, man, what was the name of that? Wally even had the name of it when we did the wrestling show. The ones back in the day who would do all the different, like, uh, order video cassettes. Oh, jeez, what what was it? Uh, He's yelling at us right now as he's listening to this. I can't remember the name of it. Oh, what was it? I keep thinking Time Life Books present, but it's not Time. It's Fun House, not Fun House. What the hell was it? Oh, come on, brain. And so they released all the old wrestling, like, VHS tapes? Yeah, they did stuff like that and, like, different things. Like, they would, you you could mail order and they would have... uh, Is it Time Life? It's not Time Life. It's something else. It's, like, a smaller company, but... And they used to do all, like, you would see the commercials all day, every day. Like, selling stuff. uh, I think I might have it. What was it? Is it Coliseum Video? I think that might be it, Coliseum Video. Yeah, because I'm seeing an article, 15 Greatest WWE VHS Tapes Released by Coliseum Home Video. I think that's it, yeah. But I thought it's, I could have swore it was something else, though. Maybe my, I'm just not thinking straight. There were so oh. many of those things. Like, there was always the Time Life one. You know, Time Life Books presents uh, Louis L'Amour Collection, or, you know, like shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> Randy I'm Bailey so says, yep, so I assume that okay. either Time Life or Coliseum is correct. Yeah, probably Coliseum. On October 1st of 1995, Square releases Secret of Evermore for the SNES. I remember this. 
this game. Back when Square had a great relationship with Nintendo. Um, this was one of the many RPGs that came out for the Super Nintendo around that time. I know I reviewed this on the show years ago. It might have yeah. been like within the first 20 or 25 episodes. I remember, this was one of the games that was complete in box that the guy at the uh, flea market wanted to sell me, along with a couple of other um, in-the-box RPGs for the Super Nintendo. He wanted like 250 bucks for all of them, and I was like, ah, can't do that right now. Yeah. This game was a lot of fun. Yeah, I felt like it kind of got swept under the rug because you had other good RPGs like, you know, Earthbound and Secret of Mana and other games like that. Like, there are a lot of really good RPGs for the Super Nintendo that came out around that time that didn't quite get the credit that others did. And this was one of them. I remember us having the debate, they should have taken the secret of out of the title and just called it Evermore Yeah, to make it kind of differentiate itself from secret of mana which the gameplay is very similar but it's not a a sequel or even take place in that universe yeah but still a good game though yeah uh let's see where were we at uh october 31st of 1996 wwf in your house is released for the playstation and sega saturn i do not remember this game this was a little bit before my time when it came to playing wrestling games. I don't even remember this at all. It says here, In Your House is not a wrestling game in the normal sense as it is heavily influenced by Mortal Kombat. It features digitized sprites of the wrestlers and many over-the-top, unrealistic, and magical moves and taunts by the wrestlers. Also features finishing moves which are performed before the final pin. Hmm. It also featured personalized stages for each wrestler, such as a nightclub for Shawn Michaels, Stu Hart's dungeon for Bret Hart, and a crypt for The Undertaker. Wow. Uh, Randy says that's where you can be the British Bulldog and his head turned into a dog's head. Oh, awesome. That's interesting. <laughs> Which, speaking of that, I'll have to send you the photo after the show, but WWE, now I will preface this by saying I would in no way pay for the amount of money that they're asking for this. But it looks really cool. They released a custom-made Undertaker championship belt. Hmm. How much and it looks cost? really cool. It's got like a purple strap. And it comes in a, um, a box that's shaped like a coffin. That's awesome. How much? I had to send cost? you the photo. It's really cool. How much does that cost? Uh, $750. Jesus! Yeah. <laughs> no thanks. Now, as great as it looks, in no way would I pay that amount of money. Like, I've never been one to get, like, the replica belts. I mean, I had the toy ones when I was a kid. Yeah. But that's different. Those were, like, $10. Hmm. Yeah. When I, I see the, like, I always envy the guys who walk around, like, whenever I go to a wrestling show, who carry the, you know, the big, like, full-size championship yeah. belt. Because I think I, I would love to be able to have the money to just say... Yeah, I'll spend 350 bucks on that. I think if you carry a belt to a wrestling show, you should have to defend it. <laughs> <laughs> See, what you do is you, you always bring a friend along, and they wear a referee shirt, oh, yeah. and you just challenge the guy to a title match right there. That's right. And you just hit him with a stunner, pin him one, two, three, and you got yourself a belt. Absolutely. Uh, there, I'll save this story for another time, but there, there was... Um, I got into an altercation in middle school that resulted in me doing a wrestler's finisher that caused everybody to go nuts. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, well, I'll, I'll tell it real quick. So I was in, um, I was in like seventh or eighth grade, and there was this kid who was really annoying. Now I have a very long fuse. Now this guy just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. I've been watching wrestling for about a year, and I just finally told him to leave me alone. So then he had to smart off at me. I said something back to him. We started getting in each other's faces. And of course, you know how it is on the playground. Everybody gathers around. And I hit him with a diamond cutter. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, uh, I'm sure Wally will love that story when he oh, hears yeah. it. Wally did the diamond and, cutter on somebody at the. Uh, um, he's got video or pictures or video of him at like a. He's a posted a video, show. yeah. Yeah, when he was in high school. That's so awesome. Oh, uh, it's great. Yeah, and people love me for that. <laughs> but to close us out on this month in video game history, on October 21st, 1998, Wario Land 2 is released for the Game Boy. Uh, this was the sequel to Mario Land 3, which featured Wario in his first playable role. Um, pretty fun game. I haven't played it in a very long time. I remember you can't really die in the game. Like, you... When you get hit by enemies, it like temporarily affects you. So, say if you have like a something land on your head, it'll make Wario really flat. So you can walk through like you know thin passageways. Um, if you get uh, hit by fire, Wario's doused with fire, and you can burn through certain areas. So there's no danger of dying, but it has an interesting aspect to it when it comes to gameplay. It'll it'll be one that I review, you know, at some point down the line. I was gonna say, but it's I it's a pretty fun game. This before. Like I said, I haven't played it in a long time. Hmm. But the the Wario games are are pretty good. You know, they do the WarioWare games now that have like the little micro games where you have like five seconds to complete an objective that are a lot of fun. But yeah. the traditional platformers with Wario are pretty good too. They haven't released a Wario game in a while. No, not they released a WarioWare game. It might have been for the Wii U, or it might have been the Wii. It was one of those two consoles. But as far as a straight-up Wario game, we haven't had one in a while. At least not that I can remember. Kind of wish I had a Wii U. I went to the uh, the Goodwill store the other day. We have this Goodwill Mega Store here now, like right around the corner from my house, and. Mm -hmm. um, they had a wall of Wii U games there the other day. And I was like, Jeez. man, I wish I had a Wii U. I would have bought every single one of those games. I mean, like an entire library of Wii U games. There, there are some good games for the Wii U. It was just really when it comes down to it, a pointless console. Yeah, kind of. It's that, it's that in-between console, which is what the next yeah. console is going to be until Nintendo, you know, gets it right for the next one. It's always kind of a leapfrog effect with Nintendo. Yeah. But, um, but that's the end of this month of video game history. And before we go into the review, Derek's got some shout-outs for us. Yes, as always, we'd like to shout-out our patrons. This month, we like to shout-out Xblade07, Daniel Salmon, and Justin Olson. And if you would like to support us on Patreon... You can head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. We have, I believe, three different tiers. And if you if we get to the $50 level, we will do an extra episode every month. So if you enjoy 
the wrestling debates that we've done, the commentaries for Mario Brothers, The Wizard, and several others that we've done. You'll get those as bonus episodes if you help us get to that $50 level at patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. Every single month we will do those extra episodes. So get us back up there. Spread the word. Yes. spookiest halloweeniest music from the soundtrack i could find (laughs) no it's good stuff before i dive into the review i do want to give a shout out it's kind of a good segue from patreon this game was actually suggested by multiple listeners of the podcast because originally i was going to review resident evil 4 but i believe it was axblade 07 wrote us on twitter a couple of weeks ago because i was asking for games to review because i'm not a big horror fan and he recommended Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem for the GameCube. So I thought, well, I'll look into it. And I looked up, you know, a little bit of gameplay, read a bit about it. I was like, oh, it, it looks pretty cool. And then Brandon Rutledge recommended it as well. And then I remember texting you and was like, I feel like I really need to, to play this game yeah. and review it. If, if, you know, we have multiple listeners suggesting it, I feel like that I need to do it. And it's just one of those games I just didn't never really paid much attention to, but apparently it's everybody loves it. Yeah, and that's crazy because you know I I had a pretty decent GameCube library back in the day, but I never really heard of this game at all. And that, of course, is Eternal Darkness: Sanity's Requiem, which is a psychological horror action adventure video game developed by Silicon Knights and published by Nintendo. Originally planned for the N64, it was switched to the GameCube for development and released on June 24th, 2002, which soon will be 18 years ago. Think about that one. (laughs) Dude, we're about to be Uh, in the third decade of this century. I know. It's insane. I don't like it. It's (laughs) absolute. No, I don't like it either. Uh, While the game features similar gameplay mechanics to that of Resident Evil, it distinguishes itself with unique features, which, to me, this is the thing I want to throw in right off the bat. Now, I haven't completed this game. That's my one regret, that I haven't had the time to play it. Because I would like to fully beat it, but I've made it a decent way into it, and that's because I started playing it a couple of days ago, and within 10 minutes, I was hooked. The the story of this game to me is unique from a gaming perspective. And basically to, to dive a bit into the story of it, um, it takes place over four different locations because the game skips between different time periods and different locations. It starts out in the year 2000 with a character named Alexandra Roivas. Uh, She returns to her family estate in Rhode Island after she finds out about her grandfather, Edward, who was her only other living relative, was brutally murdered. 
Uh, two weeks after returning with the local police having gotten nowhere with the investigation, she decides to investigate the mansion for clues and stumbles upon a secret room containing a book bound with human skin called the Tome of Eternal Darkness. Designed to read it, she finds it contains accounts of various people in the past, beginning with the story of Pius Augustus. From the very beginning of this game, it has that very creepy feel to it. You're in an empty mansion, and you hear this random whispering throughout the mansion as you're exploring. Because I didn't look at any type of a you know, walk through or anything. Like I wanted to just dive right in and see what happened. So I explored every room in the mansion and every now and then you just hear this with a little bit of music behind it. And it scared the crap out of me the first time that it happened, but I felt like it really added to that, that atmosphere. So right from the get go, it it sets a very good tone for what this game is, which I, I really like. Now, when you find the book, you open it and you start reading the story and it transitions into um, a different time period. So you start playing as this character named Pius Augustus, who's a Roman military commander and he's sent to Persia to locate an artifact. He's, he hears these voices. So he's lured away from the rest of his army and he gets transported to this underground temple. Once you go through it, you find these three different artifacts that possess the essence of a um, basically a god called Ancients. You touch one of them, and it doesn't really matter which one you touch, I don't think. But Pius becomes corrupted by the power, and he pledges his allegiance to the Ancient and begins working on summoning uh, basically these beings into the universe. So the other two that you didn't touch are then transported out of Pius's reach. One represents the ancient that's stronger than Pius, and the other represents an ancient that's weaker than Pius. Now, once that story's done, then you come back to, quote-unquote, present day, and you find a second page to the book, and that unfolds the story more. And from what I've played of it, the story is, I think, told not in linear order, but I think it's all going to make sense in the end. Yeah. It's almost told, it's like those old films that are almost like anthology films, yeah. where it takes place in one single location, but then it tells a bunch of different short stories. That's cool. Which to me is very unique when it comes to a game because I've never really played a game like that before. So from the very get go, it felt unique. And I was thinking, this game could not have been for the Nintendo GameCube. <laughs> Like, I was thinking it could have been, like, it would have fit on the PS4, or not PS4, but PS2, or, you know, even the original Xbox. But when you think of mature-themed games, you don't think Nintendo. Yeah. So, the one drawback that I have as far as the actual gameplay is that it feels very sluggish in the beginning, but it's something that you kind of get used to. Because the characters initially move very slow, and fighting enemies feels very like hack and slash, which I don't really like. Which, but there is a targeting system that I was able to get used to, where you target, you know, certain aspects. So, say like you're fighting a, a zombie, you can target the arm or the leg or the chest or even the head. Yeah. So that adds a little bit more dynamic to it. Now, the cool thing, and this is awesome, 
the second area that you go into, you get what's called a sanity meter. When a monster sees you, you lose a little bit of your sanity. The more monsters you see, the more you lose. Now, if you, if you quote unquote incapacitate a monster, you can do a command where you basically, you do like a, almost like a fatality in Mortal Kombat, but not nearly as theatrical. And you get some of your sanity back. Now, the more you lose, the game actually will start to change. And it's almost like it's affecting the player's sanity as well. It goes from anywhere to when you enter a room, the camera view will be skewed. Um, The game will even look like it goes back to the prologue screen just in the like the middle of fighting like say if you pretty much lose your sanity it does anything from doing a fake blue screen of death to showing the prologue of the game like when you start it yeah um the volume will turn itself down it'll be you know like the game will mute itself it's really creepy the more I look at this and kind of read about it a little bit and look at some of the screenshots, like this sounds like it's right up my alley. Like this. Is oh, you would love game this I game, like. Jason. Oh, I might have you to would go love get it this weekend. And I'm I'm not a horror fan by any stretch, but I'm loving this game. Really? Yes. This isn't really your type of game, though, is it? No, it's not. And that's saying a lot because I'm I'm not really big on like it's not really a stealth game, but it's it's very methodical. Yeah. And there I are a few games, games that are methodical that, that I like. I just love games that have like that horror type atmosphere, like at really atmospheric games that kind of suck you into the story that feels kind of claustrophobic, like you're in one setting, like an old castle or something like I love those type of games. Well, and you would love this because literally in one setting you'll be in, you know, Persia. Then the next you'll be in another temple. Then the next story you're in France in an old church. So there's quite a bit of a variety from various different time periods. Hmm. And and I feel like this might be me sounding like a broken record because I feel like I say it a lot, but I don't follow through on it. This is a game that I'm going to keep playing because it's that good. Like it's the gameplay still isn't my favorite, but the story is so good that it keeps me engaged. Like I was playing this game up until about five minutes before you texted me and said you were ready to do the show. I think you've got me sold on it. I think I'm going to go pick up a copy of this this weekend. Did you uh, did you pick up a copy of this at the retro store? (sighs) Unfortunately, I haven't been able to find a copy. Like there hasn't been one that's you know available locally, so I, I had to to download it to be able to play it because I, I wanted to be able to you know honor the request from the listeners and and play it. But I do want to get my own copy of it because you can find it on uh, eBay as well as on Amazon. I think. Let me look up on eBay real quick how much a copy runs for because if it's relatively uh cheap i may see eternal darkness while you look that up uh this this was actually very intriguing to me on um the wikipedia page 
In 2002, Nintendo and Hypnotic, a film entertainment company, established a filmmaking contest in which contestants submitted ideas that would later be funded into short films if selected. Hypnotic also purchased the rights to produce a film or TV series based on the IP. The contest looked for ideas that evoked the same kind of psychological horror that the game intends to invoke, but the films were not directly based on the Eternal Darkness characters or storylines. And the contest drew over 500 submissions. Wow. Which is pretty impressive. The more that I play this game, like this could be a badass movie. Hmm. Because I love anthology type stories that have a bunch of stories that are all connected, you know, under one roof, but are told within, you know, a two or a two and a half hour time frame. Yeah. I just think there's a unique storytelling with that that you can you have the luxury of telling several stories all under one umbrella. Yeah. Um, but did you find anything on eBay? Yeah. Um, um, roughly it's going to run between 30 and 45 bucks for a copy of it. Um, I see some of the buy it nows are around 34, 99, $38, $40. Uh, and then there's some like really good, you know, complete copies uh, there's one here for like 95 bucks but i don't um, yeah here's one that's complete with everything it's got some sort of book with it um a couple other things that go with it like i can't really tell what that is yeah so uh, a couple of different little books with it uh and it's you can buy it now for 80 bucks. That's like complete with everything, but you can get one with just the disc for roughly about 40 bucks. Yeah. As far as awards go, eternal darkness won many awards, including the outstanding achievement in character or story development award at the six annual interactive achievement awards presented by well, the Academy of interactive arts and sciences in 2003 where it was also nominated Console Game of the Year, Innovation in Console Gaming, and Outstanding Achievement in Art Direction. And another thing I will say is that the graphics, I think, for the GameCube are, are pretty good. You know, for, for games of that era, it holds up fairly well. Like, the, even playing it now, the graphics aren't jarring or anything. Like, I don't look at it and say, oh, that looks bad. Yeah. It, 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 looks, it looks pretty good. I've noticed that on a lot of GameCube games, the the the, the graphics hold up pretty well. Mm-hmm. We're starting to get away from the polygonal graphics of the six, Nintendo sixty four PlayStation one era, and we were getting into the a bit more textures and stuff like that. So, yeah, and the the recognition that it got as far as you know number scores was pretty pretty incredible mm-hmm. GameSpot gave it a 9.4 out of 10 IGN gave it a 9.6 Game Informer 9.5 and Eurogamer 9 out of 10 so like it, it was I can't believe that I didn't know about this game back in the day because I mean even during the GameCube era like that was when I was falling off of gaming a little bit but I still played you know like your your mainstays when it comes to GameCube. And I would even get some of the more obscure stuff, but I never, never heard of eternal darkness up until it was brought up, you know, by Axe Blade 07. Yeah. 
It says here um, it was talking about a sequel that was canceled, and then December 2012, Nintendo extended their ownership on the trademark for the fifth time, indicating that the company still has interest in the property. Um, any chances for a sequel, at least under Silicon Knights, were terminated on May 9, 2013, after they filed for bankruptcy, closed its office, and sold off its equipment. Nevertheless, Nintendo re-registered its trademark on July 29, 2013, with a new document that indicated that it might be a downloadable game. When asked about this by GameSpot, Nintendo declined to answer. Remaster. I know we've been saying it for almost every classic game, but you remaster this, you put a fresh coat of paint on it, and you clean up the the gameplay a little bit as far as controls. Because I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that if you think the controls are as jarring as, as I did. But you do that, this could be a really cool, like, cult classic type of game. Yeah. Especially if you want to if you want to try and pull in an older demographic, because I feel like Nintendo is still known a bit for being more family-friendly, mm-hmm. if you were to remake this game and put it out on the Switch, I think it could do pretty well. Yeah, give it, like you said, give it a fresh coat of paint, um, tighten up the controls a little bit. Why not? Yeah. And it, it's crazy because, you know, from what I have played of this game... It really, it, it doesn't take place in a big location, but it feels like a big game. Yeah. Because, it, like I said, it takes place over four locations uh, that include an underground temple called the Forbidden City in Persia, a temple in Angkor, Cambodia, the cathedral in Amenis, France, and the Royvis family estate in Rhode Island. So the... The traveling between different time periods is really cool, and it's almost like each chapter is a little game in and of itself. And it doesn't take you that long to really complete the objective, but it all builds into something else. Because each objective you make, you see a little bit more of the story, and then you go back to the mansion. And then you... The cool thing is when you finish reading the the chapter... You know, Alexandra will look up. So say like you complete chapter one and the sword that um, that Pius was using, there's a sword just like it that's all of a sudden sitting above the fireplace. Oh, that's cool. And then when you're doing the the temple in the second area, one of the objectives is you have to light and blow out candles in a certain order mm-hmm. in order for doors to open. When you come back to the mansion, you see that these candles are sitting, you know, almost next to the desk. <laughs> uh, Randy cool. says, I made it a point to max out my sanity meter to see what happens. <laughs> it's a really cool effect. Yeah, like, it's, it's a little bit meta in a way, but the way they did it was so clever, especially with, like, the blue screen of death, going back to the prologue screen, or even showing, like, a to-be-continued screen is yeah. one of them that I forgot to mention, and it's... It's for like basically a fake sequel. Hmm. So it's like, oh, your game is over. Get the next one to find out, you know, what goes on next. But it's really just you losing your sanity. Huh. It says screw attack ranked the fake corrupt data sanity effects as the ninth top OMG W2F moment in gaming in 2008. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? 
Okay. For some reason, my uh, my Zoom died. Oh. Well, that's but either way. If you can if you can hear me, then we're good. Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Cool. Um. Yeah. The it's just such a cleverly made game, and I I'm kicking myself for not playing this back in like when it was actually out. But it's it's really really good. It sounds right up my alley. Like this is oh, my type of game. I want to play. Absolutely, this. absolutely. Um, as far as like, I feel like I can't really give it a completely fair score because I haven't completed it. But from what I have played of it, I would easily give it a solid nine. I know that's pretty high, but it, it's just such a good game. The the story is great. The sanity meter to me is pretty innovative when it comes to a game like this. And it's just such a great atmosphere. I really like this game. Definitely piqued my interest. I want to play this now. You should. I wish they would. You should, and we, and we can do like a, maybe do an Eternal Darkness Revisited. Yeah. Where we both review it. I wish they would put it out for the Switch. Drink, Wally. Yes, drink. <laughs> But yeah, that's my thoughts on Eternal Darkness Sanity's Requiem. Awesome. Love it. And that's our uh, last official review for uh, video games for October. Coming up on for our Halloween, official Halloween episode, Derek and I, along with Joey Image, will be reviewing Halloween 1 and 2, the original 1979 Halloween, and then its sequel. Um, and then we're going to do a part 2 where we talk about Halloween 3, which will be on the Derek Diamond experience uh, that same yes. week. Yeah, and the cool thing is we'll be releasing Nerd Cave Retro on the 30th and my show on the 31st. So you get Halloween Eve and Halloween-themed episodes of the both podcasts. And that worked out perfect. Which is fantastic. Which, speaking of the Derek Diamond experience, you've been kind of making a marathon appearance. That's right. <laughs> so last week, you joined me to review The Joker, mm -hmm. which was a lot of fun. And this week, you'll be joining me to review a movie that we both got to see, I think on the same night, mm -hmm. a Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Yes. That which was, was fun. super fun. That was a fun yeah. movie and a fun review to do. So please head over to Derek Diamond Experience and uh, check that episode out. Yep, that'll be coming out this Thursday. If you want to subscribe to the podcast, you can do so on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Stitcher. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. And if you want to follow the show on social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at D Diamond Podcast. So actually some really good stuff coming up, because next week we'll be doing the Halloween 3 review. The week after that, if we're all able to see it you know, at the same time, we're going to be doing a Terminator roundtable. Yes. Which will be great because, dude, Terminator Dark Fate comes out next week. I know. And it's getting good reviews, too. So I'm I know. Excited. I'm so excited for it. Oh, so many good movies coming out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're about to be in November, but still some good movies. You got Terminator, you got uh, Star Wars, and there's a couple of other ones that, oh, the, the new Jumanji I'm looking forward to. Oh yeah, I love the first one. I I thought that movie was gonna just be awful, but I got dragged to see it. I did not want to see that movie. Ten minutes in, and I'm like, "This movie's awesome!" <laughs> it's so funny, so good. If you haven't seen the Jumanji, I wouldn't even say it's a reboot. It's still technically a sequel. 
to the yeah. first movie. Um, the first movie still happens. Every you know, it's based off the first movie. And if you haven't seen it, just go rent it. Or if it's streaming somewhere, watch it. It's it's the best video game movie of a video game that doesn't exist. Yes. And oh, with the sequel, that. like with them bringing in Danny DeVito and Danny Glover, like oh, it can't help but be better. It's going to be so good. I can't <laughs> wait to see that. There was a, a, a funny post on The Rock's Instagram. He was voted like one of the coolest dads in Hollywood. Hmm. And he wrote as the caption, as a dad to three daughters and Kevin Hart, it's such a huge <laughs> honor to receive this award. <laughs> Poor Kevin Hart. <laughs> uh, their oh, dynamic good. on Instagram is fantastic. Yeah. Oh, man, did you see The Rock's return on WWE a few weeks ago? Oh, on SmackDown? Yeah, I did yeah. finally watch the first episode. The Rock hasn't lost a step. No, he has He's not. so freaking good. That was awesome. Oh, I, it's worth I, I will... watching it just for that that whole first you know 15 minutes of the show, just, just for that. Yeah, it was really good. I will say, speaking of wrestling, I'll give kind of a random shout-out. Like, all this wrestling has kind of been in the news a lot with... You know, WWE's NXT show moving to USA. You have AEW that just started. But to me, the best wrestling out there as far as weekly television is the new NWA show. Really? It's called NWA Power, and it's on YouTube. It's on YouTube and, I believe, Facebook. New episodes come out uh, every Tuesday at, like, 5 o'clock. It's an hour long, and they film in like an old studio. It literally looks like you're watching a wrestling show from 1980. Awesome. That right. That, I'm so down for that. I'm a, I, you I'm should watch it. It's really good. Like to be honest, they so they tape their shows in Atlanta and they're doing a next set of tapings in I think mid-December and I'm thinking about going. Maybe I'll go with you. <laughs> I'll meet you there. Yeah, I mean, the tickets are only like 30 bucks. It's not and bad. it's they do um they have a pay-per-view on the 14th which is a Saturday and then they're doing um, two days worth of tapings where I think they're taping two episodes of their show per day and tickets are only like 20 or 30 bucks that's not bad we should do that no I'm totally down hell yeah leave on a leave on a Sunday and heck we could actually do an in-person episode of this podcast which hasn't happened yet yeah we could do that (laughs) No, I take that back. The only one that we, I think we have done in person was the wizard commentary. Because mm. I drove to your house to do it. Yep. Oh, and I still got to, um, I'm, I'm still working on the, uh, the live show at the Kraken. Um, I, I've been so in and out of town the last few days, I haven't had a chance to talk to LB to like get yeah. a definitive night to do it. But we're going to do it. I just got to talk to him uh, at the Wayward Kraken. And I will say once I get the final details done, which are about 90% done, we're going to be hosting a pretty epic film screening here in town next month. That's going to be awesome. That I'm really excited for. I I will say this, like I'm not going to reveal any details, but you'll know uh, the venue was confirmed today. Sweet. That's awesome. It's going to be great. Oh yeah, we'll let you guys know as soon as we we can release the details. Yeah, I want to get everything like 100% set in stone before I release anything, but the way it's working out, it's almost going to be like a little festival. That's awesome. I can't wait for that. That's going to be so fun. Yeah. 
But uh, it's gonna be great. We leave tonight. Um, tell everybody what's going on um, on in your neck of the woods before we get out of here. Um, really, other than you know the stuff I mentioned with the podcast, um, that's about it. Other than the Parker Syndrome is in the running for um, Best Set Design Award from the Indie X Fest located in Los Angeles. Um, I think the actual award presentation is in late November. But if I find out any notification, you know, whether we have one or not one, you know, I'll let everybody know. But even to be nominated is is really cool. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think I'm up to seven laurels. You know, it's it's no survey. But then again, <laughs> what is? is it like 40, what, 47 festivals now? It's getting to be absurd <sighs> at this point. <laughs> I've got to because I want to do something like really cool for everybody not if but when the movie makes it 50 yeah oh we got to do something. some type of party if we make it to 50 yeah i know we will it's just it's like we're we we're creeping through the 40s and we're like oh come on let's get to 50 oh uh, what would be awesome is if i think it will probably happen before then but if it makes it to 50 right before our little event that we're planning oh that'd be so awesome <laughs> the timing would be perfect but yeah. I, I should be finding out within the next week or so some more um, festival notifications. I know I'm going to be in Destin on November 9th at the Kite Film Fest. Uh, the Parker Syndrome will be playing there. Hopefully finding out by the end of the month if I get into the Tampa Bay Underground Film Festival. That'll be in early December. If I get accepted to that, I'll go to it. Awesome. Um, yeah, so just kind of doing a wait-and-see approach. I, I'm not applying to as many mostly because i'm trying to save money for the holidays yeah but um still some good stuff in the works and then you know slowly working on my next project which hopefully i'll get to do sometime early next year yeah i'm still working on a few of mine it's hard to get stuff done like once you get that first one done it's like trying to get the second one's like all right where do i start now again <laughs> from the beginning <laughs> well and with the parker syndrome i had at least kind of a base to go off of but this what i'm doing is completely from scratch yeah so it's completely different for me um as far as i go um go listen to falls from grace on spotify um apple music amazon wherever you can listen to music go check out our new ep Thelma, and if you're in the uh, anywhere near the Biloxi, Mississippi area, and you want to go to the Sounds Fall Ball on November 16th, uh, starts at 6 p.m. We're gonna have uh, five five bands. Uh, we're gonna have food trucks. We're gonna have Budweiser there. Uh, bang energy drinks. There's gonna be uh, food drinks. You know, bands. It's gonna be awesome. So. Um, you can get tickets right now for 15 bucks at thesound228.com uh, and follow the links to the, uh, the I think it's the, uh, I forgot the name of the, the ticket company. But I do have tickets to sell um, on my person. So if you um, live anywhere near the Biloxi area and you want to pick up tickets from me personally, just uh, get a hold of me on Twitter at jfunktastic um, and just message me and my DMs are open. And you can just meet me somewhere, and the tickets will be $15 cash. Cash money. To use a millennial phrase, just slide into the DMs and that's get right. those tickets. Slide into my DMs. Give me that money. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, great. But that's it for tonight. Are we ready to get out of here? 
We, we I believe like, so. It's a long show. We hope you guys like this one. We play our music here. If you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We are at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro. Individually at jfantastic and at Derek underscore diamond. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. We're on Patreon at patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. And of course, leave us a review wherever fine podcasts are sold. Derek, please tell them what it's all about. Master Blaster runs Bada Town. Yes. Master Blaster runs by the town. You blow it!